You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Good morning again. This is Real Presence Radio. We're coming to you live. That's why we call it Real Presence Live. Steve Sponskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. And uh, if you're looking for a theme this morning, it's really get involved, being informed. Uh, the first hour or first half hour, we talked with John Hansen from South Dakota talking about being involved in the education of your children. Don't abdicate, as Father Leffer mentioned, abdicate. Don't walk away. Don't give away. Don't surrender your responsibility as a parent. The second, we just talked about fathers. Zooming in on that, fathers, you have a, a very um, important role with uh, raising your children. And so we're offering you an opportunity to come to a retreat at Maryville. The first one is May 25th through the 27th. Um, and again, $50 registration required. And at the end of the retreat, you'll be offered the opportunity to pay the re- remainder um, or whatever you can afford, again, up to another $200. So a $250 fee for the retreat. But if you can't afford the entire $250, don't worry about it. Just commit to that $50 and uh, the Lord will take care of the rest. Uh, again, more details on that at maryvalend.org and then click on attend to retreat. And now this hour, the entire hour, actually, two sections here, we're going to visit with uh, Father Christopher DeCock. Good morning. Well, I wish I were. Well, I am a father, but... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, doctor. <laughs> you are a father. Did I say father? <laughs> you said father. I do that. He certainly I is. can't ordain, so don't worry about it. <laughs> no, no, that. it's okay. My wife would have some serious questions if I came back. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Christopher DeCock, how are you this morning? Very good. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into the conversation here. All right. Well, I'm a child neurologist here in town and a father of four. Uh, we attend uh, St. Anthony's and uh, born and bred in Fargo. So, Excellent. And uh, we, we're, our issue, our, our topic this, off, this hour is the Uniform de- de- blah, can't talk, Tom. Declaration. There you go. Uniform Declaration of Death Act. Well, um, it's actually the Uniform Determination, determination. of Death Act. Okay. There we go. You. Uniform Determination of Death. Tell us a little bit about that. I know you've talked a little bit about that in the past on Real Presence, but uh, for any listeners who haven't heard, give us a, a history on that. Sure. So the Uniform Determination of Death Act was promulgated by the Uniform Law Commission in 1981. It has been accepted by all 50 states in one form or another. And basically, it's the legal standard for how people are determined to be dead. So you can be dead if you have irreversible circulatory and respiratory function. That would be cardiopulmonary death. Or you can be dead if all parts of the entire brain, including the brainstem, are dead. And that's brain death. Okay, so so, uh, first question that comes to mind is, why are we talking about this? Well... Um, Within the last couple of years, there's been some uh, uh, grumblings, if you will, about some of the inadequacies of the clinical determination for brain death, leading to a number of what are called chronic brain dead patients. Now, to be clear, these patients are those that have met the current clinical criteria, but aren't actually dead. Now, what they're seeking to do is they kind of want to tidy this up and make these patients legally dead as opposed to just medically dead. And so, so what's the motivation for that? What's, what's the, the who, who, does this, who does this benefit? Well, um, the motivation is sort of twofold. So first of all, as you know, the culture of death feels that life is only worth 
living if you can exercise your autonomy. Now, of course, that is not a Catholic position at all. And therefore, these people believe that a life where you can't express yourself, like Terry Schiavo, is one that is not worth living. So that's the dualistic misunderstanding that we are minds accidentally inhabiting bodies as opposed to embodied persons. So first of all, the people pushing this don't think that the body matters. So that these patients who have residual brain function but who can't think in their mind, they're as good as dead, and therefore they might as well be dead. Um, we had actually proposed at the Uniform Law Commission um, what I thought made logical sense. If you have a test that doesn't actually test what it's supposed to test for, I would argue you should improve testing, not change the definition of the disease, or in this case, change the definition of death, to meet the inadequate clinical criteria. And our proposal was pretty soundly shot down because it would half the number of available vital organs for transplant. And so what they're trying to do is they're legalizing, if you will, illegal practice so that it doesn't have an effect on the amount of organs available for donation. Now, don't think that I'm saying organ donation is a bad thing. You know, John Paul II was very clear that organ donation is a great gift. But I would argue that organ donation can only be a great gift if you're actually dead. Yeah, that makes good sense. And uh, folks, if you're just visiting us, visiting us here at Real Presence, we're uh, talking with fa or Father Dr. Christopher DeCock uh, about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Um, and there's more information available. We're going to talk about it here this hour, but uh, more information will be available at the Pastoral Center. There's a, a meeting on this Thursday, May 4th, so a week from today at 6 p.m. at the Pastoral Center of the Fargo Diocese uh, in South Fargo. They're available uh, at 6 p.m. next Thursday. So, so, so that I'm clear, this Uniform Declaration Death Act is trying to change, the Termination of Death Act is trying to change the current rules right and and we're saying you can't change it in this way because you're trying to lighten you're trying to lighten the 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 responsibility of of determination of death well that's correct really what it is is that they're proposing so the uniform determination of death act is now the the law of the land all 50 states again have accepted they are proposing, so the Uniform Law Commission, they're a group of lawyers across the country who come up with model legislation that they propose to states. So they're revising the Uniform Determination of Death Act. And in this revision, they're actually changing both cardiopulmonary death and brain death. I've been focusing on brain death because I'm a neurologist. But they're changing cardiopulmonary death to permanent as opposed to irreversible, and they want to change brain death to permanent as well. But remember, the current law says that the whole brain has to be dead. Now they're picking and choosing parts of the brains to test. So they say if you're in a coma, if you can't breathe, and you have no brainstem reflexes, you're dead. Now we know that the whole brain is not dead because, again, these chronic brain-dead patients who have residual brain activity who, let's be clear, there's no doubt that they're alive. They can go through 
puberty. They can gestate pregnancies. So, I mean, these are clearly individuals who are not dead. But they're proposing that they are dead, that that function of the brain that is still persistent, and it's persistent in every single case of, quote, chronic brain death, end quote, is unimportant. And so those patients, even though they're alive, are dead. And they give no rationale for this. And again, I can only speculate on the rationale. And I think it's because the culture of death says, hey, if you can't exercise your autonomy, you might as well be dead. And so it's that misunderstanding, again, that dualism, that we're minds accidentally inhabiting bodies as opposed to embodied persons. And, I mean, that makes a difference. And, and let's be fair. The idea of intrinsic human dignity is abhorrent to the culture of death because we say, look, by virtue of being a member of the human species, doesn't matter how disabled you are, doesn't matter, you know, if you're not born yet, you know, you're still human, right? And, and the culture of death doesn't believe that. They think that human dignity equates to autonomy. And that's it. If you don't have autonomy, you don't have dignity. But here's the thing. We believe that our intrinsic human dignity comes from God and is inviolable, whereas the culture of death says, no, we can, we can decide when you no longer have dignity. And then, of course, they twist the word, too, like within euthanasia, death with dignity. Well, obviously, that's not very dignified to kill someone. Right. And, and, and so much of this, well, culture is about autonomy in, in every decision of many aspects of our life. And as Catholics, we believe in a much more communal nature and, mm -hmm. and, and a participative walk through life. So as, as this person that is not dead, as you talked about, Dr. DeCock, you know, there, there's still families and, and, and husbands and, and children uh, to consider in this decision. Oh, absolutely. But you got to remember, if you're declared legally dead, now you have no rights under the law. And in medicine, guess what? There's no health insurance. So, so Tom, you worked many years in hospice. Yes. And so you've actually dealt with some of these end-of-life issues. Uh, and we, will, we have to come back on the other side of the break and talk a little bit more about this. But I think this is a... I guess what keeps coming to my mind, Dr. DeCock, is, is well, what, what can we do about this? And, 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 you know, we're talking about it on the radio, and we want to obviously educate and inform folks, but what can actually be done? And I think on the other side of the break, we'll talk a little bit more sure. about that. Uh, we are listening, you are listening to Real Presence Radio. This is Real Presence Live. We're visiting with Dr. Christopher DeCock, talking about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Um, which, which is a, a kind of a big deal here across the nation. A lot, of, a lot of conversations even here on Real Presence Radio about it. We want you to be informed. But on the other side of the break, we're also going to talk about, you know, what, what can you do? How can you become involved? And also, you know, what are your experiences with this? Uh, and you can think about this. Obviously, we've all had family members uh, pass away um, in some difficult situations and having to make difficult determinations. And the church does help with that. She does have teachings on this. And so we want to be sure that the human person is respected. And we'll be coming on the other side of the break, talking more about this on Real Presence Radio. We'll be right back. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. The Yes of Believing. Ascent is produced by the will, not by the understanding's own direct insight 
Believing is not an act of the understanding alone, not simply an act of the will, not just an act of feeling, but an act in which all the spiritual powers of man are at work together. Still more, man in his own self and of himself cannot bring about this believing at all. It has of its nature the character of a dialogue. It is only because the depth of the soul, the heart, has been touched by God's word that the whole structure of spiritual powers is set in motion and unites in the yes of believing. It is through all this that we also begin to see the particular kind of truth with which believing is concerned. Theology talks about saving truth. Everything a man does or allows to happen to him can, ultimately, be derived from his will to be happy. When the heart comes into contact with God's logos, with the Word who became man, this inmost point of his existence is being touched. Then, he does not merely feel, he knows from within himself, that is it. That is he. That is what I was waiting for. It is a kind of recognition, for we have been created in relation to God. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Real Presence Live, coming to you live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Steve Sponskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. And we're visiting with Dr. Christopher DeCock, talking about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Um, and just kind of get you up to speed, there are some, a commission is proposing some changes to relax uh, some of the rules for a determination of death, uh, whether by uh, brain death or also cardiovascular Right. Cardiopulmonary or circulatory yep. death is the current terminology. And they're proposing to relax some of these rules so it's easier uh, for doctors to make that determination. And, of course, the negative impact of that is that uh, there is a concern, or one of them is that uh, people will be harvest, harvest for donor um, you know, organ donations um, because it's more relaxed. And uh, before they are fully uh, dead... Um, and, and going back, Dr. DeCock, about, I, I love the explanation you have of Catholic teaching versus, you know, secular ideas that, you know, the human life is worth living. Um, the secular society would say only if you're a completely functioning human and can have all, you know, have an impact on society. But even a human person, you know, for example somebody with Down syndrome or a paraplegic, can they still have a positive impact on society? The Catholic Church says yes. And absolutely they can. Um, I mean, just look at any family with a special needs kid. That kid can't exercise their autonomy and in many ways is a great burden on that family. But it's part of those crosses that we have to bear and they bring about the sanctification of those around them. I think of my own brother-in-law. He's multiply handicapped. He's got autism. He's got Down syndrome. He's quadriplegic. He's got a shunt in his head. He has no colon. Everything's in a bag. 
And that has done wonders for my wife's family. It's been very difficult, but it's also been very important for their own growth. And as Catholics, we, we see beauty so, so differently. And I, I know uh, Dr. DeCock and I go to the same church, and I know there's some families there with some, some special needs child. And every time I see that at Mass, I, I see the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. I see the sacrifice of it. I see the love involved in, in, in the care uh, and, and the care back that that, that that individual gives to that family. Well, and human relationship isn't about efficiency, right? It's, it's about persons. It's about that relationship. And Tom, before the break, I alluded to you, you have some experience in working in hospice. Um, you can speak to this sure. you know, subject on end of, end of life. Uh, well, and these are, these are somewhat very different, different topics. You know, the, the hospice, we've, we've as, as the physician has decided that his patient is, is terminally ill. And then hospice or palliative care, how do we care for that person in the best way possible, provide them the most dignity, the most meaning and purpose through the end of, of their life? So to get to that point where we're actually making a determination of death in this state is, is probably pretty rare that we'd be involved. But those are all discussions that you should have as a family. How, you, how would you want to go down that path when that situation comes to you? But again, that determination that that patient is going to die for whatever reason, cancer, lung disease, whatever, has already been made. And we step in to help that person on that journey and, and get as most out of life as they can through that, that period. Uh, so that's, and Dr. DeCock, that's, that's my impression mm-hmm. of what we would do. Right. And, and the other misunderstanding about this is, you know, patients like Jahai McNath, who lived for four years after the diagnosis of brain dead, again, using inadequate clinical criteria, you know, she lived for four years and underwent puberty. And the culture of death sees that as life unworthy of life. And the thing is, I don't see that at that way at all. I see an extremely vulnerable, neurologically devastated, yes, patient, but still a patient and still a child of God. And then the other misunderstanding is that the um, people in favor of this say, well, you're condemning people to a hellish existence where they can't do anything. Well, that's not true either, you know? We're not saying that someone couldn't be a DNR. We're not saying that you couldn't ethically, you know, take them off the ventilator. That is an ethical option, you know. It's always okay to see, you know, can they, can they do without things. And, but what we're saying is, look, with these patients that are clearly still alive, harvesting their organs is killing them. And it doesn't matter you know, how, how much they can exercise their autonomy. And the real creepy part about this is that there are studies out there showing that the residual function, that hypothalamic function, that neuroendocrine function, I said is in every patient with chronic brain death, there is data out there to say that there's some phenomenal consciousness there so that these patients, when we're harvesting their organs, can actually, on some sense, feel us cutting them open, removing their heart, or, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, killing them is one thing, but, you know, killing them and making them suffer is a, another thing. And both of those are completely unacceptable. Because what I heard you say, Dr. Cock, and please clarify, is there, I almost saw a, a, a paradox or a dichotomy there, because on one hand, they're saying, we're going to objectively or subjectively decide for you that you're clinically dead to avoid a hellish existence. So there's still an existence. 
mm-hmm. there's still a life that, that they're saying well, that yes, there's still a life that's being lived. Correct. But internal logic is not good for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're just uh, joining us, folks, we're talking to uh, Dr. DeCock about a uniform determination of death. Um, and uh, we're talking about there's a commission that is, is uh, operating here to make some changes to, to relax the rules uh, for the determination, determination of death. Now, to be clear, the Catholic Church is in favor of donor organ donation, but not um, at the expense of killing another person. And so that's if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says that it's, you know, it's a life-giving act to be a donor organ donor. However, um, the church also teaches that you cannot kill a human being um, in order to save another human being, um, intentionally kill them with the act, idea of killing them um, to save another human being. And so, uh, Dr. DeCock, this is a commission that they're, they're, what effect do we have? Or, you know, what's the, what's the hoped goal here? Well, so What's going to happen is that July, this new proposal will be brought before the committee as a whole, and they're meeting in Honolulu, and that may or may not be intentional to avoid, you know, people coming there um, and protesting this change. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. You know, it just just makes me wonder. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, we have no no vote in this, and I've actually been an observer, so I've been attending these meetings. Um, but I won't be able to say anything at this summer meeting either. It's only for commissioners. And so what we need to do is we need to send a clear message to our commissioners. And again, every state has one that gerrymandering the definition of death in order to ensure that we continue to have a steady supply of vital organs for transplantation is unacceptable. So we should talk to our legislatures. We should talk to our local commissioners. And let them know that this is not a good thing. And and let's be fair. What we're doing now, just talking about this issue, is so vitally important. Because most people don't know that this issue even exists. And if you don't know this thing exists, you can't do anything about it. You know, this is an opportunity for us as Catholics and just people in general to be proactive as opposed to having to react to some terrible law that's already been happened. I mean, I mean, look at the HHS. I mean, now they're trying to change the definition of the word person in their new proposal. They've stripped conscience rights from physicians and other medical practitioners. So this gives us an opportunity to act ahead of time. And so what I've been telling people is, look, you have to let everyone you know. The hope is, is that they can skate this through without having to justify their actions. So that's why I've been on the air multiple times. That's why we're trying to get, you know, EWTN and other people to cover this story. And this is a national thing. Don't just think this is local. This is a national thing. And anyone who is concerned about life needs to know what's happening. And ultimately, are the commissioners really going to care what I as an individual say? Probably not. But, you know, if we complain to our legislatures, I mean, these people are appointed by the states. And if they want to be reappointed, they, you know, probably need to listen. And then the other thing, and I've got to be very careful about this, but as a physician, I don't want to recommend anything that is harmful to my patient. And at this point, you know, I'm listed as an organ donor, but I have to stop that because I know right now, as it stands, even though medicine is violating the law at this point, half the time someone diagnosed with brain dead, brain death is not actually dead. And so if they're an organ donor, 
we will be harvesting organs from someone who's actually alive. And if this proposal goes through and they legalize these inadequate medical criteria, which to me just blows my mind because they're patients that are suffering and no one seems to give a damn about these patients. That's just what troubles me the most. I mean, it's very utilitarian. You know, I, I don't think I could confidently counsel people. Organ donation's a great gift. I mean, John Paul made that abundantly clear, but he also made it abundantly clear that brain death is only acceptable if it is complete and irreversible loss of functioning of the entire brain. And if we change from an objective definition of death to a subjective one, I don't see how I could honestly counsel someone to be an organ donor, which is, which is terrible because it's such a great gift. I really wish I could, but as a physician, I have to look out for my patients. And if they're going to be harmed and killing them to get their organs, even if they're profoundly devastated, is harming them. I could not recommend that. And, you know, I gotta, I gotta think that if even the rumblings of gerrymandering this definition of death resulted in a significant drop in vital organs available for transplant by people withdrawing their support from organ donation, I would think the legislatures would have to take, take issue with that. Because when we proposed tightening the criteria to make sure that the whole brain was tested, we were rejected because, again, we would have lost organs available for transplant. So even though those are two completely separate issues, the fact that it could happen... The utilitarian goals of getting organs overwhelmed our care for those patients. Folks, if you're just joining us, you're hearing the voice of Dr. Christopher DeCock talking about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. Um, and there is going to be an event at the Pastoral Center Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m. Uh, to talk more about that. We're going to come back and continue this conversation. If you'd like to weigh in, give us a call, 877-795-0122. 877-795-0122 if you'd like to weigh in and ask some questions of uh, Dr. Christopher DeCock. We'll be right back. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In Luke 5, Jesus invites Peter, weary from a night of fruitless fishing, back out onto the Sea of Galilee to cast his nets one more time and trust Jesus for the results. To cast into the deep is to let go of our own opinions, desires, and the way things or people should be. To cast into the deep, even where we have already fished with no results, is to let go of independence, autonomy, and self-determination. The sooner we realize that our beloved is holding us in his hands, the sooner we can get about the business of doing our Father's will, the sooner we will become disciples. Proverbs sums up this great secret lesson learned by the saints. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Let go and trust the Lord to direct your activities and your life. He knows what He's doing. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. As Catholic people, we recognize our lives are gifts from God. Blessings received are a result of God's grace and goodness. Our Lord entrusts us to be good stewards of His many gifts. 
We are called to conduct lives that honor him and bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. As we begin a new year, let's reflect a moment on stewardship. Your life should provide an example to others in the way you live your faith, the way you manage your possessions, and the way you plan your estate and personal affairs. You have spent a lifetime acquiring your assets and living your faith. Fortunately, we can provide you with an estate planning guide that allows you to put all of your important information in one place and enable you to document your intentions. To request an estate planning guide, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. And good morning. This is Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Steve Sponskowski here along with Tom O'Keefe. And uh, we're having conversations this morning about being involved, being informed. The first uh, segment we had a visit with John Hansen from South Dakota talking about politics and education. As a parent, you're the primary educator of your children. Be involved. Know what's going on. Our second segment was with Father Jason Leffer talking about fathers, your important role of being a leader in your family and having that relationship with your father in heaven so that your authority as a father comes from a legitimate source, which is the father in heaven. You are a beloved son. And May 25th through the 27th, that retreat, beloved son retreat, will be led by Father Jason Leffer at Maryville, inviting you to be a part of that. Join us. More information at MaryvilleND.org. And now this uh, last half hour, uh, we're visiting with uh, Dr. Christopher DeCock talking about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. And uh, also, we're opening the phone lines up for you. If you have some questions that you'd like to talk to, talk to Dr. DeCock about, 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. Also, there will be more information on this available at the Pastoral Center, the Diocese of Fargo in South Fargo, Thursday, May 4th, one week from today at 6 p.m., in the St. Gabriel Room, again, that's the Diocese of Fargo Pastoral Center in South Fargo, Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m. Let's talk about human dignity. We, over the break, we talked a little bit about that. Yes, and we're talking about how, how important it, how important language is in the, the use of words, and that very often a, a word is used out of context to help us convince a, a bad thing is a good thing, and, 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 and we want to be sure that we're, we're clear about when we're talking about dignity uh, with this determination of death. Right. And and you'll notice, Tom, that I use the term intrinsic human dignity. And so dignity has at least three meanings. And it's important that we know what we're talking about. When we talk about, you know, the euphemism of death with dignity, that's using dignity as an attributed term. But we know that the dignity we have from God isn't attributed by anyone. God gave us dignity by virtue of being human beings, by being sons and daughters of him, our creator. And that's intrinsic human dignity. Attributed human dignity is something that gets thrown around all the time. And unfortunately, the culture of death assumes that all dignity is attributed human dignity. But that's just frankly not the case. And then lastly, you can use dignity... Um, in a term that would be inflorescent human dignity. So someone live a, you know, someone 
you know, lived, you know, with dignity, you know. So what does that mean, you know? It's it's very much, you know, an excelling, you know, like the ancient Greek heroes, you know, they were dignified and stuff like that. And so living a good life can also, you know, give you dignity. You know, doing the best that you can can give you dignity. And so that would be inflorescent human dignity because no one would argue that some of these great saints were dignified. And it's not that we're attributing it, it's that they're living it, that it's an inflorescent dignity in their life. But again, that's different than the intrinsic human dignity that every single one of us sinners has by virtue of being a child of God. Yeah, so we have to be cautious when we're having these discussions that we're not talking about that attributed dignity because that, that, that in and of itself is, is not quantifiable. It's right. someone, someone else deciding what it is. So when exactly. you, you might talk, talk about hospice. That was demonstrating my bias that, that a, a life that is, a death that it happens a certain way becomes dignified. But that's, I'm attributing that. Correct. Yeah. And we can't attribute what God has given. Yes. So I have a question I'd like to ask you, and this is a, somebody called it in, but off, off air. So can a heart be taken from a person without killing the person? And what other organs can be removed after the person has died? Uh, what organs are actually viable after the person has died? Well, so viability has a number of things connected with it. So right now, there's donation after cardiac death. And what's happening, and the reason why they want to change the term from irreversible to permanent, is they don't want to wait a period of time, because when the heart stops, there's a possibility of what's called auto-resuscitation, so the heart restarting themselves. And this is tied in with many procedures. So there's basically two ways that vital organ transplant can occur. And notice I'm saying vital organ transplant, so it'd be like the heart, you know, the liver, things that you need, you know, as opposed to the kidney. A kidney by itself, if you have two, would not be vital organ transplant because you've got another one. You know, corneas can be transplanted. You know, there's all sorts of things. It could be tra kidneys transplanted, you know, but vital organ transplant would be those organs that are essential for survival. And if you remove that from someone and they're still alive, you're going to kill them. So, for example, when I was in medical school, I um, rotated with the transplant team, and when we had to go for an organ transplant, we cracked open the chest, we severed the major arteries, the patient bled out, and we got the liver. Now, I only pray to God that that patient was actually brain dead and not still alive because again there's a phenomenal possibility that they could have experienced that transplantation now again transplantation is a great gift but it's only a great gift if you're actually dead now to the question of whether or not you can remove a heart from someone um, and they could still be living for sure you could remove it but that would ultimately kill them because you need your heart. Now, you could be sustained on ECMO, you know, extracorporeal membranous oxygenation, and have a machine, you know, pumping blood for you. But, of course, that's only going to last for so long. Ultimately, you need your pump. In neurology, we like to say that, you know, the heart's a good brain support organ. Right. So, so I guess the question the person is asking here is, can you actually ever remove somebody's heart um, without killing them? Well, 
if you don't kill them right away, they will die when they, you know, when they fail off of ECMO. And ECMO is a great technology because if someone's heart stops or something like that, you want to be able to support it. Well, you can restart it. Mm -hmm. Or if someone's truly dead and they need a heart transplant and you get a heart from someone who is truly dead, obviously you've got to remove the heart from the living person and put it back in. Now, again, like I said, the reason that language change, and we talked about language, is they want to remove this window. They want to make this waiting period shorter and shorter and shorter for, you know, one of the main reasons is to ensure that these organs are healthy so that, you know, your heart isn't, you know, dead when we try to transplant it. You know, you want to keep it you know, keep the blood flowing. And in fact, there's a procedure called normal thermic regional perfusion that um, is pretty darn scary because what happens is, let's say someone's a DNR, well, as soon as their heart, well, actually even before their heart stops, they canalize them. And as soon as their heart stops, then they restart the heart because they're not, you know, they're a DNR. So they say, heart stopped, they're dead. Now let's restart it. And then they clamp off the brain because you don't want to perfuse the brain in this case. And you clamp off, you know, other parts and only perfuse that area and that organ where you want it. Well, you can see how this could be very, very dangerous. And then there's another procedure that could be tied into this. It's called a whole body gestational donation. So let's say you have teenage girl who's in a state where they're cool with euthanasia. She gets euthanized. They restart her heart. They clamp off the uh, arteries going to the brain. They kill off the brain. Now she's a chronic brain dead patient. Well, people say, well, she's dead. So now we can use her body to gestate other people's pregnancies. But we know that the mere fact that she can continue to do that means that she's not actually dead. But the culture of death wants to say that she is dead and then let's be fair once she's no longer good for gestating other people's pregnancy which of course would be intrinsically evil in and of itself then they could harvest her organs so the subjectivism has a goal sounds like a scary sci-fi movie but it's real right think robocop he was dead so they were able to do whatever they wanted well, folks, if you have a, a questions, uh, give us a call, 877-795-0122. Uh, Dr. Christopher DeCock is in the studio talking about health care. Another question here is, are heart transplants ethical, is a question that uh, somebody called in with. Yes, they can be ethical. So there are ethical ways to obtain a heart, and that would be donation after cardiac death. But again, you can't be rushing things, right? You've got to allow that heart to restart. You know, it's like that old trolley problem, you know. If uh, you divert the trolley and, you know, away from the five toward the one and that train happens to fall on the track, you don't kill the conductor of that train. So if someone's a DNR and their heart restarts by itself, you're not going to stop it, right? Because that's killing them, right? But if your heart stops and you wait an appropriate period of time, then yeah, it's completely ethical to be a heart donor. But again, like I said, you know, with heart donation, and remember, heart donation is usually 
you know, usually at this point thought of as coming after brain death, but there is some ability to do heart donation after cardiac death. And basically, they put the organ in a box, you know, throw a bunch of ice on it and stuff like that to keep it, you know, viable for the next person. So it can be ethical, but you have to be very careful about it. There's a lot of tricky things that could go on to make, you know, such a gift that you're trying to give to another person turn it into an ethical nightmare. And uh, for our, our folks who are listening, DNR means do not resuscitate. Some of the, I know some of the doctor lingo is like, okay, I don't, it's like talking to my son about the military. <laughs> okay, can you stop giving me acronyms? I have no idea what you're talking about, but so I apologize. No, that's okay. Um, so we're going to take a break here, folks, but we are going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break with uh, Dr. DeCock, 877-795-0122. You can either give your question on the air or as many have been doing, they're just calling in and giving us their question. Um, and we can read it on the air for you. 877-795-0122. This is Real Presence Live talking about that Uniform Determination of Death Act. And again, there's a commission that makes this decision um, really without our knowledge, uh, really without any input from us. But uh, the idea here is to make you aware so that we can make a little bit of a din, a little bit of a din um, so that they are aware that we are concerned and you can receive more information at the Fargo Pastoral Center, the Diocese of Fargo, Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m. in the St. Gabriel Room. That's one week from today at the Diocese of Fargo Pastoral Center in South Fargo, Thursday, May 4th. And we'll continue this conversation on the other side of the break. 877-795-0122. 877-795-0122. If you'd like to weigh in on the conversation, we'll be right back. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. What if you could earn a degree that offers the best of both worlds, an MBA and a master's degree in philosophy? The University of Mary offers one degree that combines world-class business training with a careful study of life's deepest questions through their combined MBA, MA, and philosophy program. By earning one degree in both philosophy and business online, you will rigorously engage the big ideas needed to address professional challenges. Visit catholicprofessional.life. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. This is Father Bo Braun from the Diocese of Duluth. It's my second year anniversary as a priest today, so I figured it's a good time to talk a little bit about priesthood and my favorite part about being a priest. You know, it's intense because you just think about where the priest stands. The priest stands, he stands in the place of Jesus Christ. He stands in between the people and God. And uh, that place is a, there's an intensity of life and there's an intensity of love there. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about the, I think the best times as a priest are those moments where God lets you feel that intensity. You know, so the Mass, I would say, is the, is the highest point, obviously, because in the Mass, it's the, it's the most intense prayer from the Son to the Father, and I'm caught up in the middle of that. But yet, I, I give all of that love then to the people, and uh, all through my, my ordinary and, and very little heart. You're listening to Real Presence Live. 
Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Hey, this is Real Presence Radio. Steve Splunskowski along with Tom O'Keefe. And we are visiting with Dr. Christopher DeCock talking about the Uniform Determination of Death Act. More information. Uh, join uh, Dr. DeCock at the Pastoral Center in Fargo, the Diocese of Fargo, South Fargo here on Thursday, May 4th, one, one week from today at 6 p.m. at the St. Gabriel Room there uh, for more information on this in, uh, Uniform Determination of Death Act. And again, if you want to weigh in on a question for the next last few minutes, about eight minutes to the top of the hour, 877-795-0122, 877-795-0122. And Dr. DeCock, let's kind of wrap this this thing up with the Uniform Determination of Death Act. I mean, really want to nail it down to brass tacks, what needs to happen? Okay, so... To be clear, so we've talked a lot about it, but what is actually happening? Well, the Uniform Law Commission, who proposes laws to states. Now, again, North Dakota might not actually accept it if the Uniform Law Determin- or the Uniform Determination of Death Act is changed. Our state could potentially not accept it, right? But here's the deal. We can fight one fight now before July. But if it's accepted, then we have to fight 50 fights. And I would much prefer to fight one fight now. I want to kill it now before it's even a possibility of it going back to the states. And ultimately, the states would have to ratify it. They'd have to say, yeah, we accept this change to the Uniform Determination of Death Act. So why do I care? Well, natural law states that objective reality exists this change in the in the determination of death is a subjective opinion it's not based on objective fact it's these lawyers who by the way are supported by the american academy of neurology and many big medical organizations for this change think that dead enough is good enough dead enough is never good enough I will only be dead when I am dead. This isn't a subjective thing. There's no opinions. This isn't a legal fiction. Society doesn't decide when I am dead. I am dead because of the fact that I am dead. I am dead when, you know, to use big uh, terms here, when entropy overwhelms homeostasis in my body. There is a point of no return where I'm dead. And it's not an opinion. It is a biological fact. Changing the law to someone's opinion doesn't change the fact that biological fact still exists, even if we want to deny it. And that's really the brass tacks here. As human beings, we cannot allow someone to decide when dead enough is good enough. You're either dead or you're alive, and a lot of people pushing for this don't actually believe that. And if you want more information, learn more about this, the Uniform Determination of Death Act at the Fargo Pastoral Center, the Diocese of Fargo, in South Fargo, Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m., again, the St. Gabriel Room. I'm sure if you just walk in the front doors, people will direct you where the St. Gabriel Room is there on the main floor. Um, or actually in the second floor. Well, I have no idea. I just hope someone directs me. Walk in the door and you will find it. The Fargo Pastoral Center Dice is a Fargo Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m. for more information. 
again, uh, Dr. Christopher DeCock, uh, talking on this issue, and, and thank you for bringing it forward. Oh, for yes, us. and um, and one of our local commissioners will be there as well, you know, to sort of answer questions about how the Uniform Law Commission, you know, works. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to vilify the Uniform Law Commission. What I'm, you know, in general, they do very good work. But the culture of death has gotten a hold of this, and they're trying to push through something that just frankly is not true. And, you know, I don't want to be accused of a slippery slope fallacy, but once you change death from an objective reality to a subjective one, it's very easy to change the goalpost again and again and again. And so when I had a conversation with Terry Schiavo's brother on Monday, he was very concerned about this issue because, I mean, look at what they did. They used language, you know, Tom, to say that artificial fluid and nutrition isn't care, it's medical treatment. And as medical treatment, they could withdraw that. Of course, we know that's not true. You know, it's like Abraham Lincoln's, you know, five-legged dog. If you call a dog's tail a leg, it doesn't make that tail a leg. You're just calling it and you're wrong. If you say that dead enough is good enough, you're wrong. It's not death. And so it's the subjectification. I mean, let's be fair. We see this in all aspects of our lives, you know, across the political spectrum of, well, you know, the biology, you know, there's no such thing as biological fact. We can decide this or that or this or that. Well, no, I'm sorry. Natural law is based on objective reality, unchanging principles. We are not God. We cannot change those principles that he decided that creation was going to operate by. And so this is our opportunity to be proactive, to make some noise, to let people know that we will not stand for a subjectification of death. And they're already doing it with life, too. Absolutely. Folks, more information available at the Pastoral Center of Fargo, Diocese of Fargo, Thursday, May 4th at 6 p.m. I do have a quick question for you with just a couple minutes, Dr. DeCock. Sounds good. Um, does a Catholic have a moral responsibility to donate a kidney to their child if they need one? That's a question somebody called in. Well, let's put it this way. If my child needed it and I could give it, I would say I probably have a moral you know, responsibility. But again, moral decisions are not just clear, cut and dry things. You know, first of all, is the kidney, you know, is it even a good match for your kid? If it's not a good match, then you probably don't have a responsibility, right? Because it's unlikely to work, you know? So with any action, you have to think about, you know, what are the benefits of this? What are the burdens? You know, if someone is wildly afraid of surgery and it would put them in the psychiatric ward to even consider it, well, that's going too far. You know, this comes to ordinary and extraordinary means or proportionate and disproportionate is the current terminology. And so if my kid needed a kidney and I was a good match for them, I would think I'd better darn do it. Because can you imagine the guilt if you didn't do it after the fact? I don't know that you're morally obliged to do it. Of course, with difficult decisions, you should always talk with your parish priest, talk with your loved ones, talk with your families. But if you're a good match and, and you can do it and it doesn't cause you significant harm, you're probably obliged to do it. All right. Uh, again... That again, that event at the Fargo Diocese Pastoral Center, Thursday, May 4th, one week from today, 6 p.m. And uh, Dr. Christopher DeCock, thank you so much.
Well, it was my pleasure. And thank you for taking time to hear this out. And what I'll do at that event is I'm going to sort of lay out the current laws, talk a little bit about a history of it, you know, look at the changes, you know, very minutely looking at, you know, what does this change? You know, what does this mean? You know, why do we need to be concerned about it? And, um, you know, I'll probably only speak, you know, for 30, maybe 45 minutes. Hopefully that doesn't deter anyone from coming. But then I'll, be, I'll stay as long as I need to, to answer anyone's questions about this issue. This is an opportunity for us to be proactive as opposed to having to react to the culture of death. Absolutely. Dr. DeCock, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. All right, and I'm going to turn the mic over for a preview of the next Real Presence Live. Coming up on the next Real Presence Live, we'll be having a special episode covering the Knights of Columbus conventions in North Dakota and South Dakota on Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. We will start with the North Dakota Convention in the first hour, and in the second hour, we will move to the South Dakota the South Dakota Convention. Join us to hear about the important work the Knights of Columbus are doing on Friday from 9 to 11 a.m. Central. Back to you. Thank you very much. And folks, thanks for joining us here on Real Presence Live today. Again, a recap, our first segment. Of course, you can go look up the podcast on this. John Hansen from South Dakota talking about politics and education. If you're a parent and have children, which means you're a parent, you have a responsibility for the education of your children. Don't set it aside. Don't pay somebody else to do it. Don't let somebody else be in charge of it. It is your responsibility. You are the primary educator of your children. Also, fathers, you have a role, a huge role to play. Sometimes when you step back, and even when I, I find Tom even and, and, and Dr. Cock, even when you step back and try not to influence your children, just that stepping back influences your children. So you can't abdicate. You can't surrender your role as a father. And we're inviting you to the opportunity for an opportunity to discuss that to, uh, with the Lord especially, but also to listen to Father Jason Leffer at a retreat, The Father and I Are One, Becoming Mature in Christ Retreat at Maryville, May 25th through the 27th. Check it out at maryvillend.org and then click on Attend a Retreat. Again, required that you do have to make a registration fee, $50, and at the end of the retreat, we ask that you consider a donation uh, to pay for the cost of the retreat, but don't let that deter you. If the Lord is calling you, if the Father is calling you uh, to attend this retreat, check it out, maryvillend.org, uh, and then click on the Attend a Retreat. And then, of course, again, as I mentioned, at the Fargo Pastoral Center, the Diocese of Fargo, right next to the St. San Joachim Church, is a great big church, you can't miss it, uh, Thursday, one week from today, May 4th at 6 p.m., more conversation on the Uniform Determination of Death Act. So, Tom. What we have just a minute left. What thoughts that you'd like to share before we close today? Oh, I just have a lot to think about today. Uh, you know, in terms of everything we've discussed, the, the state of education, uh, the state of uh, medicine, uh, that that we have to step up as Catholics uh, and and be firm in our faith and understand our faith and, and just as much simple things like dignity and what does it mean and what is what does a moral life meant, lived mean. And as parents, or even a single piece of people, we have to get involved in, in this arena, or it, it, we're going to find ourselves in a place we really don't want to be in, in 10 years. Absolutely. And if I can put in my two cents, mm -hmm. you know, as a father of four, I have entrusted my children to our Blessed Mother, and I strongly recommend anyone to consecrate their children to her. She will take better care of them than we can. That doesn't mean we abandon our responsibility. And of course, always pray to St. Joseph. For guidance and help. He helped the Blessed Mother and Jesus. He can help you. Amen. This is, this is Real Presence Radio. Thank you for joining us. And again, check out the podcast at realpresenceradio.com. This has been Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
Real Presence Live brings you inspirational stories of faith and a look at the good and holy things happening in our local area. Weekday mornings from 9 to 11 Central. Tune in for an encore of each show beginning Saturday morning at 6. Get the podcast any time of day or night at yourcatholicradiostation.com or on the Real Presence radio app. And remember, you can be a part of the conversation through Facebook and Twitter. Real Presence Live, local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network.